Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode 112 of the Book Cougars, two middle-aged women on the hunt for a good read. I'm Emily. And I'm Chris. We are still socially distant, but we did have a visit yesterday, a porch visit. It was so nice. We hung out and talked for quite a while and had a lovely catch up. It was kind of like the good old days. It was. But we did have masks. You know, we took them off some when we were sitting apart, but we also, we wanted to take a picture, so we put masks on, so we, you know, behaved appropriately. We did, indeed. (laughs) (laughs) It was a lovely summer day, really muggy. Yeah. Muggy day. Um, But it's nice to to be outside, for sure. Yeah, we're lucky that we we could do that. Yep. We have a couple thank yous before we get started. Yes, we wanted to thank Wendy for her very generous donation. Thank you, yeah. Wendy. Kind of knocked our socks off. Thank you, Wendy. We really appreciate you. Absolutely. And then also thanks to Michelle in Missouri, who gave us a lovely equipment donation. Yeah, so, which we are putting to use for the first time today. We are indeed. Thank you, Michelle. Yeah, so many nice, lovely people in the world. Absolutely, there are. So we're going to jump right in. And oh. Well, we did want to talk, we wanted to remind people of the read-along, just a quick reminder that we did choose our read-along, which is Celestial Bodies by Joka Aharty, translated by Marilyn Booth. We're going to talk about it on episode 116, which drops on November 10th, so that gives you some time to read it before we thought we'd do it pre-holiday. If you want to join in the conversation, the Goodreads page on our group page is open, jump in. Even just tell us you bought the book, that's thrilling to us, or you put it on hold at the library. And then we also are doing a Zoom virtual discussion again. So email us if you would like to take part in that. And that um, there's a link with our email and everything in the show notes. Yeah, so please do. You know, it's not exactly a registration, but we do try to keep the conversation um, on the small side so it doesn't get too unwieldy because especially on a zoom call it's you want to be able to see everybody's faces and so please shoot us an email if you'd like to take part in that discussion we'd love to have you we would indeed so now jumping in what are you currently reading chris i'm currently reading two things one is i'm finally getting to sherry demoline's the marrow thieves which i know i talked about on past episodes is the book i'd like to read this is her ya bestseller that was a mega bestseller especially up in Canada and her adult novel that I read a few months ago called Empire of Wild was just a great read and then I learned about this YA novel The Marrow Thieves so I started it last night and got immediately sucked in I can't wait to get back to it it will be what I'm doing later tonight right on oh I love it when you get into a book and just feel like would this day be over already so I can get in bed and read? Exactly, right? (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. I'm currently reading Magic Lessons by Alice Hoffman. I've been keeping this a secret from Aunt Ellen. So now the secret's (laughs) out. This is out on October 6th. So it's not quite available yet, but I would get it on hold at your library. You know, her books get a pretty heavy, long waiting list. Or pre-order it, which really helps authors these days. And this is a prequel to Practical Magic and Rules of Magic. Interesting. So for fans of Alice Hoffman, this is an exciting book because it takes us back into the world of the Owens family, Maria Owens, back to the 1600s, learning about her, you know, becoming familiar with her skills of I hate to use the term witchcraft, but that's kind of, you know, the idea of it. But she has special skills um, as a young child and kind of understanding from the history of this family that then, you know, that has we've been experiencing with these other two books. So I got the arc. I was so excited. And I have to admit, I've been holding it because I wanted it's kind of like how you feel about Louise Penny. You know, it's like, I want it to be the right time when I actually sit down and read it. Yeah. So I started it. I'm not in the best headspace these days. So I was like, do I want to do it now? Or don't I but as soon as I picked it up and read it, uh, or started reading it, I should say, totally in love. I love, love me some Alice Hoffman. <laughs> yeah, so. you do. Yeah. That was one of the highlights of your book expo experience last year was right. meeting her. Yeah. Oh, 
Yes. And then I, Aunt Ellen and I saw her in New York one time as well. And I remember I went up, it was a situation, it was actually in a synagogue that she was doing this event. And I got up and had to, you had to walk out and go to a microphone. You know, it was one of those where they had microphones in the front to ask a question. And I was shaking. (laughs) I was like, I can't believe I'm in the same room asking Alice Hoffman a question. I survived the experience. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, I remember the first author I met and went up to. I was shaking as well. It was Leslie Feinberg who wrote Mm -hmm. Stone Butch Blues. And unfortunately, she's passed away since. But... I remember my friends like, go talk to her, go talk to her, because I was just so starstruck. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And could you get, you know, put two words together? Because sometimes I can't. I probably put two together, but I couldn't tell you what they are, what they were, (laughs) I should say. But it was really great to shake her hand and to thank her for writing such an amazing novel. Yeah, that's really what I wanted to say, too, when I met Alice Hoffman is just like years and hours of pleasure. And, you know, I have journals with quotes from her books, you know, I mean, her writings just really meant a lot to me and still does. Yeah, that's cool. And I think witchcraft is a fine word. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. What was your meaning or intention behind saying you didn't want to say that word? Well, I mean, I have a lot of respect for people who have um, skills you know, and are in touch with the world in a in a very interesting way. But I think there's a lot of connotation around that word, which I think is what this book, you know, it, it goes back, it's part of it. I'm not in that spot yet, because I just started it, but it goes to Salem, you know, the storyline. And so I'm really curious to see and there's just such tough history with women and how women are treated and you know, that have special powers and mm you know, really are just women (laughs) in a lot of cases, you know? Yeah. So I, sometimes I hesitate to use the term witchcraft because I think it's, I guess I feel like it's, it's bigger than that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You can't always control what people, how they take that word or the associations that come with it, but we just want listeners to know we're totally witchcraft positive on this podcast. Absolutely. 100%. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the other book I'm reading doesn't deal with witchcraft, but it deals with vampires. It's The Gilda Stories by Jewel Gomez. And this book came out in 1991. This edition I'm reading right now is a 25th anniversary edition. And I am almost, I'm like, 99.9% sure I started this book in the past and didn't finish it. Hmm. And I don't know if I'm going to finish it again this time. Oh, no. Yeah. Uh, So, (laughs) you know, it was a a lot of the praise for this book is that it was a groundbreaking lesbian feminist novel that took different genres and combined them. And, you know, she wrote a vampire story that was lesbian feminist which is very interesting. So one of the things with the vampires that are the, quote, good vampires, not that she uses that language, that's my word, but the vampires that this young woman is taken into. So I should say that this is a novel. It starts in 1850 in Louisiana with a young girl who's enslaved and she escapes somehow. And she finds this barn to sleep in for the night and uh, a slave catcher wakes her up by you know grabbing her out of the hay she's rescued by a woman who is one of the vampires and I'm this is not too much of a spoiler because it's within the first couple pages that you know something's going on but the thing is so Gilda who is the vampire who rescues the girl as she's called is a very ancient vampire she's like 300 years old And she's tired and she's kind of done with it all. Um, But when they when these vampires take people's blood, it's kind of interesting. It's a sharing. So they they find a person they want to take the blood from and they kind of read the person's thoughts and give the person a positive dream or in some cases help them get what they want. So that's kind of a nice thing. It's kind of reciprocal in some ways, but not because it's not like the person is saying, hey, vampire, come take my blood. They do kind of mesmerize their mark. So in one example, 
the guy that she's taken blood from is a horse wrangler who's having a dream about being worried about breaking this one horse. So she gives him this really pleasant dream about being the best horse rider ever, you know? So that's a wonderful thing. But then when you really stop and think about it, it's like, okay, so you're, this is supposed to be like lesbian feminist and all giving and, transparent and everything but it's really not because when you think about it it's just maybe even creepier than a traditional vampire who comes and you know rips your throat out (laughs) (laughs) takes your blood violently terrorizes you you know um right not necessarily i mean dracula bram stoker's dracula he doesn't do that he doesn't rip people's throats out that's a later uh thing you know he just bites you and But for some people, that's a good experience in in Dracula, the novel. I'm totally digressing. (laughs) But when you think about these vampires in the Gilda stories, so they find a mark and they kind of mesmerize the person and give them a nice thing and they seal the wound completely so they don't know what's happened. So in some ways, it's even worse because like they've not given consent and they've still been violated you know what I mean? And it seems like any vampire attack is a violation. But you're saying she, you're saying she's trying to couch it in a positive, but it's not really positive. Yeah, she's trying to cut the vampire Gilda, who the girl is eventually take takes or is given her name. That's why they're the Gilda stories, because the name Gilda goes on. She's trying to make it seem like it's a sharing of blood. Mm. that it's a sharing Mm -hmm. and that in order to survive we need to share blood which in some ways is great if you look at you know racial divides and other types of divisions within the human race that's a great thing to be sharing blood there's one scene where the vampire approaches somebody whose blood is tainted with disease and so she completely backs off that person You it know, sounds like there's a lot of subtext. There's so much. And the thing is, like, it's kind of a time travel book, too. So each chapter is a different time period. So it jumps around. It starts in 1850. And the last chapter is in 2050. Mm, so wow. there's you go through a lot of different historical stuff. And I'm really talking probably too much about this novel, which I may not finish. <laughs> But the writing itself is is challenging for me because there's so much more telling than showing. And mm. there's so many confusing lines about like, well, how am I supposed to take this character? And not necessarily in a suspenseful way. So I just wanted to read these two sentences describing a new character who's coming into the book. It's kind of midway through the book. Her year of widowhood had made some days unrelievedly bleak. And tonight's event was a great departure from the routine to which she had become accustomed. But she had always thought of her life as satisfying, perhaps even more so in widowhood, which had bestowed an unfamiliar independence. So it's Mm kind of like, okay, wait, like, so is her widowhood bleak? You know, she's been in this Mm -hmm. routine, but then it's also given her this freedom. So it's kind of like, which is it? Right. And I don't think that is the type of, like, that's the first paragraph in a new chapter with a new character. And I, I really kind of feel like the first paragraph of a new chapter, I don't think you should stop and think about that type of sentence and what's going on with the character. You know what I mean? Well, what it's saying to me is, like, there's probably a reason you stopped reading it last time and maybe you're rediscovering that. <laughs> yeah, I think so. And, and the thing is, like, if I were, say, taking a class and this was an assigned book, I, I would have no problem finishing it and keeping going because mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of great opportunity for discussion with this novel. But just right now where there's so many other things I want to get to. Right. I'm not going to donate it or give it away. I'm going to keep it on my shelf and see. Maybe so the third year, time will be the charm. Pick, I was going to say next year you're going <laughs> to pick it up and you're going to say, you know, I feel like I've read this before, but. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least now I could go and search the Book Cougars page, thanks to Linda, um, right, who, that's right. you know, well, you put everything in our show notes, but Linda puts everything on our Goodreads bookshelf, right. so I can always track it down and say, oh, yeah, look at that. I did talk about that book. Yeah, good old episode 112. Why am I talking on, about it again on 212? <laughs> <laughs> Moving 
moving on now. What have you just read? Well, it's ironic that we should be talking about that because I just finished Shantaram. <gasps> you finished! Woohoo! I did. By Gregory David Roberts. This book, I started this book in October of 2015. And I finished it in September of 2020. <laughs> and I did restart it, you know, when I when I restarted it again this year. But I had the same experience where I almost got to the exact same spot and was ready to bail mm-hmm. as I did the first time, which I thought was really interesting. So there must be something about, you know, like you read a certain amount and you're like, hmm, I think I don't want to read this. But this book has plagued me for so long, I refuse to not finish it. I did listen to mostly the audio. I read it at the beginning for about the first 400 pages. I did go back and forth reading an audio, and then I just stuck completely to the audio. It was narrated by Humphrey Bower, who's an Australian actor who did a fantastic job with all the different voices, and I really enjoyed his performance. This book is 933 pages, and the audio was 43 hours. Wow. Wow. Yeah, that's a full work it, week right there. Yes, yeah. <laughs> more than it, more than. And I have to say in the acknowledgments, he says, it took me 13 long and troubled years to write Shantaram. The first two drafts of the book, six years work in 600 pages were destroyed in prison. Wow. Yeah, because this is memoirish. It's fiction, but it, it he was some in real life imprisoned, and this story is about a man that was imprisoned. So, it although not truly a memoir, it is based on his life. You know, a fictionalized version of his life. And I have to joke at myself that it took me five years to read this book. You know, <laughs> so, um, you know, there's some really lovely turns of phrase. And some things that really made me pause, like one of the things he says is, ask any man with a long enough experience of prisons, and he'll tell you that all it takes to harden a man's heart is a system of justice. It's like, wow, right. Yeah, I've never heard of prison really helping anybody. So I enjoyed it in the sense that there were some lovely turns of phrase. Here's another one. But my dreams that night were violent and troubled. Didier once told me in a rambling midnight dissertation that a dream is the place where a wish and a fear meet. When the wish and the fear are exactly the same, he said, we call the dream a nightmare. Wow, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I just, there were certain things that I loved. Here's one that really spoke to me as someone who lives in a tiny house. It's fine, she said, reading my heart. I lived in a little hut like this in Goa for a year once, and I was happy. There isn't a day goes by when I don't feel like going back there. I sometimes think that the size of our happiness is inversely proportional to the size of our house. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, I enjoyed it, but I also felt like super long, a little bit indulgent, you know, lots and lots of violence, lots of fights, but definitely a love story to Bombay and to India and the people of India, you know, and that part I really appreciated. So here I'm going to read you some another passage. But an Indian will be so pleased that if he likes something else about you, your eyes or your smile or the way you react to a beggar at the window of his cab, he'll feel bonded to you instantly. He'll be prepared to do things for you, go out of his way, put himself at risk, and even do dangerous or illegal things. If you've given him an address he doesn't like, such as the palace, he'll be prepared to wait for you, just to be sure that you're safe. You could come out an hour later and ignore him completely, and he would smile and drive away happy to know that no harm had come to you. You know, just, you know, things like that, that he, you know, speaks about Bombay in a way that was really beautiful. And it's definitely an epic saga. So if you're someone who loves to read an epic novel, you're not bothered by the fact that it's a thousand pages and, you know, it's going to take you a month to read. I highly recommend it. It's blurbed on the front by Pat Conroy. He says, a novel of the first order, a work of extraordinary art, a thing of exceptional beauty. 
you know, so it's a beautiful book. I just found it a little bit indulgent, Mm -hmm. you know, and also a little bit hard to believe, but it's a work of fiction, you know, so. And when was that written? Did you say? I'm sorry. I'm asking. That's okay. Um, It was written in, let's see. This one's copyright is 2003. Okay. But, you know, it took him 13 years to write. So I think that the things that happened to him were much earlier in his life than Mm -hmm. that. I'm very glad to have gotten through it. I want to (laughs) congratulate you. Job well done. Thank you. Yes. (laughs) I'm going to be very happy to put it in a little free library somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) Again, that was Shantaram by Gregory David Roberts. What did you read? Well, I read a Louise Penny novel. Number 16 just came out. Um, It's called All the Devils Are Here. And I love this one. I remember last the last book number fifteen. I I wasn't a I wasn't swept in by that one too much, um, but this one has cleared all of my doubts that I had. And it's all this story is set completely in Paris, which is a change from Quebec and Three Pines, the fictional town that fans of this series love. So that was a little bit different, and I. I also felt a little bit when I first started like, oh, you know, I didn't really dig the last novel and this one's not in Three Pines or even Quebec. I'm not sure, but I was just drawn in immediately and I loved the story. It furthered a lot of the relationships within the Gamash Gamash family directly. So, because what's going on is Gamash's son has been living in Paris with his wife and kids his daughter is there. She's pregnant with their first child, I think. No, their second child. So he's there for the birth of the next grandchild. He's there with his wife. And his godfather, Stephen, who showed up in past books, is also there. And uh, Gamash's parents had died when he was nine in a car accident, which, you know, fans of the series know. And Stephen, as his godfather, was partially responsible for having raised him. So it was kind of great to get to know him, Stephen, a little bit more. And there's this one touching scene when they're they're in Paris sitting in this garden. And Stephen says to young, the young boy, Gamache, patience, patience. With patience comes choice. And with choice comes power. I mean, they're talking about eating a pastry, but still, you know, that is a, a really good saying or a really great philosophy for the entire series in a lot of ways, because he is one of those traditional detectives who relies on his brain more mm-hmm. than brute force. And so his, the novels are always giving you some type of way to look at current events even though it's a fictional world. And there was a lot of that in this book. I don't want to say too much to give away any spoilers. It involves a little bit of World War II because of a certain hotel where some of the action takes place. So you get a little bit of everything in this novel. Um, How brave of her to leave Three Pines. I mean, I I think that's really interesting. I wonder if any, you know, diehards are going to just be, you know, have an issue with that. I can't imagine that they would because of the relationships that are you, you learn so much more about their relationships and their their backgrounds and why some things are the way they are. So there's there's a lot of growth and there is a lot of um three pines truth. <laughs> Let's put it that way in this okay. book, you know. So she does bring yeah. it into the story. And yeah. one of the most beloved characters of the series is Ruth, who's the old poet with the duck that goes around saying fuck 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 all the time (laughs) (laughs) and in fact one of the characters the son his first word wasn't like you know mama daddy or milk it was fuck because of the duck (laughs) so ruth doesn't make an appearance directly but she is mentioned several times Mm. yeah so Another great entry. I like I said, it's it's not a novel I could talk too much about the details without giving spoilers. Right. Um, yeah. But it's a beautiful, 
story, All the Devils Are Here, Louise Penny, Chief Inspector Gamash, uh, number 16. That's awesome. I'm so glad you liked it. I did. I'm and I am grateful too. I did read I read it after it came out, but I did read an advanced copy. So um thank you to the publisher and I think it was NetGalley. I got it through NetGalley. Oh nice. Yeah. Yeah. And that boy, that took a lot to sit on that one for a little while. Good for you. Well it did. <laughs> you know, it was one of those things because I was in a reading not a reading slump, but you know, a lot of us have talked and you and I have talked about this during this time of COVID. It's Sometimes you pick up book after book after book and none of them really grab you. And I mm-hmm. wanted to make sure I was in a good frame of mind when I picked this yeah. one up because it yeah. is such a, a series that gives me a lot of comfort to yeah. read. Yeah. Well, that's how I felt about the next book I read called All Adults Here by Emma Straub. Emma Straub is the bookstore owner of Books Are Magic in Brooklyn. I have great admiration for her as a bookstore owner and as a writer. Her books are are just really good. Her, I mean, I was reading, I read this as the book I was reading as I was listening to Shantaram. And so I feel like I was even more impressed with her brevity. Mm. Because <laughs> Shantaram is the exact opposite of a novel that believes in brevity, you know. Mm-hmm. And I just loved it. It's about um, a matriarch of a family, Astrid, who's in her late 60s. And the town that that it's in, I saw a very quick, just like a, I wouldn't even call it an interview with Emma Straub. It was like a little elevator pitch she did because it's a Barnes and Noble book club pick, I think. Mm -hmm. So it was a little blurb she did for them. And she said she based the town that this book takes place in on Stars Hollow, the Gilmore Girls. Yeah. Yeah. She said she loved the Gilmore Girls and she loves a small town and she feels like where she lives in Brooklyn is like a small town. Like she does run into her, the same people all the time, but she felt like if she put it in Brooklyn, people wouldn't really believe that. So she built a small town, you know, in, in the book and she did a great job. Like, you know, the, how the Gilmore girls has its little downtown area. She did that in this book. And the very opening of the book is that Astrid witnesses a woman who is struck and killed by a school bus Mm. right in the main part of town. And so it really makes her re-examine her life and realize like, there's no time to waste here. You know, she wants to be honest, more honest with her children and with herself about her life. And um, one of the quotes I love from this book is she says in the book, it says, this was the job of a parent to fuck up over and over again. This was the job of a child to grow up anyway. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) So Astrid is, like I said, in her late sixties and she comes out to her children. She has now start her, her husband passed away a while ago. She's been dating a woman for a while and she comes out to her children. And I loved that part of the book. I thought it was wonderful. And then it also really spoke to me in the sense that, as a parent, there are times when you have a conversation with your child or have some sort sort of something that happened historically that you can ruminate over and have deep regret about, which is the case here. But then when you eventually, when everyone grows up, when they're all adults here and you have a conversation about it, sometimes your vision of it as a parent is much different than your child's vision. And so she really makes an effort to clear the air with her kids in a lot of ways. And I really appreciated that and thought it was really well done. There's also an arc where her daughter, her granddaughter moves in with her because she's had a little situation at her school in New York city. And I don't want to spoil what happened. So she comes to live with her grandmother and the the place where this book takes place is like upstate New York. And so I really liked the story arc with her granddaughter and then her granddaughter befriends another high school student whose name is August, who is a transgendered young boy who wants to be called Robin. And there is a scene in the book where he kind of comes out to the town. And I think, you know, you have to suspend disbelief a little bit because not everyone you know has rosy ideas about you know transgender people but she really paints it that way in the book which I think is lovely 
But, you know, it's just not always so seamless, you know, that the parents accept everything and things like that. But it did make me realize as someone who grew up in a small town, you know, as frustrating as it can be because everyone's in your business or they at least think they know your business, you know, it is also in lots of small towns, at least the one I was raised in, it can afford people the opportunity to live a fulfilled life without judgment in some ways, you know, Mm -hmm. safely, depending again on the small town. And I think she really painted a picture of this town in that way. And that can be a really beautiful thing. You know, I mean, I had an experience in the bank in my small town, for example, where there was a a mentally ill man that lived in the town and he came into the bank one day and he was dressed in a very odd way. And then he just started singing, you know, at the top of his lungs. And all of us just looked at him like, oh, it's Fred, you know, like Mm -hmm. this is what he does. No one called the police, you know, just things like that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So this, this book reminded me of that a little bit, like people just living their lives, you know, and being accepted for it and knowing and being supportive of each other and things like that. I really enjoyed it. It was like a little delicious treat, like I said, compared to Shantaram, which was a long, long slog for me. Yes. So, um, So I loved it. I highly recommend it. All Adults Here by Emma Straub. Great. Well, I've been reading in in two other books. So after I finished Forever Amber, my big book of the summer, I kind of dipped around here and there. I was reading some poetry by Emily Dickinson, who we love. Nice. She's just always a comfort to go to. And you can never read just one poem. (laughs) or It's hard to not read just one poem. I even have this little... Uh, the pocket Emily Dickinson that I keep in my car. It's obviously not in my car. It's in my hand right now since I don't really drive my car that much anymore. <laughs> right, um, exactly. But yeah, and I always feel like you get different things out of her poems, different understandings. Or yeah. at least I do anyway over the decades. Like, oh, maybe that's what that meant. Mm. Um, and I then, think you you picked that up when we went to the Emily Dickinson Museum, I think. Is that when I got this one? Yeah. Okay. I recognize that from All when right. you, I think you got that at the little gift shop there. Oh, you know what I did? It says on the back, Emily Dickinson Pocket Emily. Mm-hmm. Emily Dickinson Museum, I should say. Pocket Emily. Yeah. Yeah. That was such a fun trip. That was. Yep. And then the other book I've been reading from is Sister Outsider uh, by either Audre Lord or Audrey Lord. I've heard it said both ways, but I think her partner used Audrey, so I'm going to go with that. Um, she has since passed away, uh, but this is a book I read a while ago, first in a class, and just wanting to pick up some of her essays. So I've been reading around in it. Two of them that are really famous, uh, The Master's Tools Will Never Dismantle the Master's House. Is an excellent essay. And then also poetry is not a luxury. Uh, so many of, of these essays in here are just fantastic to read. And when did this first get published? It first came out in 1984. And in The Master's Tools Will Never Dismantle the Master's House, she's addressing uh, an academic conference where at the last minute they, they needed a black woman feminist and it's, you know, really obvious that nobody, quote, knew any. Mm. So, you know, she gets this kind of last minute call. And and so you think, like, this is still going on today, as we know, you know. Um, and it's just a reminder that this generation or what's currently going on, it's not necessarily a new thing that people are realizing. Maybe some people are realizing the depth of the racism in this country and how firmly it's embedded in all of our organizations and institutions. Um, But in terms of some of the ongoing issues of, you know, well, let's call this person, she'll know a black person who could, you know, that's Mm -hmm. what she's addressing there and being more inclusive. Mm -hmm. So I'm probably not talking about that very well, but I do love her writing. It's just so powerful. I'm embarrassed to say I've never read her. I need to get one of her books. And I love the idea of getting a book of essays of hers. Yeah. Yeah. 
And it's interesting that you should say that because I think one of the things that I'm seeing differently now and hearing about differently now, especially in with the work that I'm doing in philanthropy, is that there's an unwillingness for people to be the token person mm-hmm. now. That there's that there, you know, it used to be, I think, that there was a willingness because you were very concerned with representation. But now there's more of a demand that this is an expectation and it's not going to be someone that's a token representative of a particular race. It's that there is an expectation that there's going to be representation. Right. You know, absolutely. I'll just read a paragraph. And this is from the master's tools. She says, women of today are still being called upon to stretch across the gap of male ignorance and to educate men as to our experience and our needs. This is an old and primary tool of all oppressors to keep the oppressed occupied with the master's concerns. Now we hear that it is the task of women of color to educate white women in the face of tremendous resistance as to our existence, our differences, our relative roles, and our joint survival. This is a division of energies and a tragic repetition of racist patriarchal thought. Mm, I mean, yeah. I just think her writing is so powerful and on the nose. And and again, I think so many generations think they're the first to right. to deal with things. And, and that's yeah. not always true. And it's just, it's good to know that, but it's also really sad mm-hmm. to see well, how right, things cause... don't change and the backlash. And Right, yeah. right. And, and how do you, um, how do you measure progress, you know, when you feel like it's not, you're not really having progress. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So again, that's Sister Outsider Essays and Speeches by Audre Lorde. Thank you. I'm going to put her on my, my list. I'm going to go get a book soon. So Biblio Couch Adventures? I had two. Me too. Right. Well, you go first. So I missed an event. It was through Pen Out Loud, and it was with Yah Jossi, which is the author that I was pronouncing Yah Giasi. So I learned the pronunciation is Yah Jossi, and it was moderated by Roxane Gay. I had purchased a ticket, and then it completely flew the coop of my brain which Mm. seems to not be hard to do these days (laughs) and I was beside myself and I emailed and um I think it was the strand I think it was in partnership with the strand and pen out loud and I said oh my gracious you know I bought a ticket I missed it and they said oh no problem just use your your this password and you can watch the recording and I was like I mean I I felt like I had won the lottery it was so funny (laughs) Because I was so looking forward to this. And then, bam. One thing that I thought was really cool was that they had, um, you know, it was through, I want to say, Eventbrite. And they had um, recorded it. And it had Roxane Gay, Yaa Jossi. And then they had a sign language interpreter through the whole event, which I hadn't seen one of these. I've seen them with live events, but Mm -hmm. I've never seen one with a virtual event. I thought that was super cool. That's good. I've seen it here and there, but but not too much. And I think Mm -hmm. it's so important to have that. Yeah. Yeah. Really nice. This was um, Yaa Jossi has a novel that's out now called Transcendent Kingdom. I talked about it on episode 107. I love this book. I think it's going to win awards. Who knows if I know anything. Um, And one of the things she said is the reason that she wrote it is because she wanted it was one of those things where, you know, you want to read about something that you know, and she couldn't find it anywhere. So she wrote it, which was a portrayal of mental illness in the immigrant culture. And I'm not sure if I talked about that aspect of the book when I talked about it before. I think I talked more about addiction. But there is also very much a discussion of depression and mental illness and, you know, how that affected this young woman's life and her family life because her mother goes into a very deep depression. So I thought that was really interesting. The conversation was really great. They're both just brilliant women. I was in awe of them, you know? Yeah. So I highly recommend that you 
put this book on your TBR. I just think it was fantastic. And it's made me really want to read Homegoing. One of the things that's interesting, I had started Homegoing, but it's told from multiple perspectives, you know, whereas this one is really told from one perspective. So she did talk about the difference of, you know, managing writing something, you know, with multiple timelines and and characters versus this one that was very pointed and from one point of view you know they they didn't get too much you know like inside baseball author stuff but it was fun to hear them talk a little bit about things like that that's so cool yeah yeah so i was always pronouncing her name yagiasi as well so can you say it one more time yajasi yajasi okay like the way i wrote it down so i would pronounce it correctly was y-a- J-A-C-I. Right. Yeah, Jossie. But that, I mean, I'm just saying for phonetics, that's not, it's spelled yeah. G-Y-A-S-I, you know. Yeah. yeah. I'm so yeah. glad that you got to see that event after all. I know how upset you were. I was so, I mean, I was just so mad at myself because it wasn't like I was doing something. I had just was at home and completely forgot that I had signed, because I had signed up for it, you know, two months in advance or something because I was so happy about it. So. Yeah. Calendars are my friend, but I have to look at them. Right, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, uh, one that I went on was the Willa Cather's Greenwich Village. And that was, uh, I talked about that last time as an upcoming event. It was through the Greenwich Village Society for Historic Preservation, uh, presented by Francis Maroney. And it was a really great look at all the places she lived you know the first well some of the buildings have been torn down but he gave a bird's eye view of maps and things like that and old pictures when they were available to give you a sense of where she was in the village and and what was going on and other people who lived other places and it's just francis maroney is so knowledgeable about this time period and and cather and her life He's been really steeped with Edith Wharton. I guess he's working on a big Edith Wharton uh, project. But um, so, you know, every now and then he might mention something with her. And just in contrast that like Cather loved New York when she first moved there. And Edith Wharton, who was from New York, hated it. (laughs) You know, very different circumstances for those two writers who were often compared. There's been at least two books written that compare Mm. Cather and Wharton for different reasons. Um, But that was a great event. I really enjoyed it. They do a good job. This is the second event that I've taken or attended uh, through the village preservation and uh, really enjoyable. Probably. I um, attended an event through RJ's with Carrie Arsenal in conversation with Danny Shapiro about Carrie Arsenal's new book, Milltown, Reckoning with What Remains. So Danny Shapiro, you know, is a is a big time draw, big time author in her own right. You know that I was saying before with the with the other event with Roxanne Gay and Yajasi that you know sometimes authors can get a little too inside baseball, and I feel like that happened with this event a little bit. And I know Danny Shapiro teaches writing, so I think she was very interested in you know the writing of the book. And unfortunately, they didn't tell us what the book was about. <laughs> which was really frustrating to me. And so I, I printed some this little thing I wanted to read um, that tells you what it's about. It says, Milltown is a personal investigation where Arsenault sifts through historical archives and scientific reports, talks to family and neighbors, and examines her own childhood to illuminate the rise and collapse of the working class, the hazards of loving and leaving home, and the ambiguous nature of toxins and disease. And that part is because, the, you know, it's uh, her hometown was really um, centered around this paper mill and paper mills are known to, you know, not be so environmentally friendly. And many of the people who worked in this paper mill ended up getting cancer and they called it Cancer Valley, I believe. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to hear her talk a little bit more about just the facts, like what was the book about? But I will say she was incredibly compelling just I could have listened to her talk, you know, all day. I mean, she was a very interesting person. But I was a little disappointed that the event didn't, you know, delve a little deeper into the actual facts of the book, Mm -hmm. you know. 
and more about just it was more about writing and the writing process and things like that but but I it didn't I, you know I do want to read the book I still feel that way and I might actually look and see if it's available on audio as an audiobook so all right cool I've heard great things about that book yeah Oh, and the one thing she did talk about that was very interesting because Danny Shapiro pointed out that it doesn't have the term in the title. There's nothing that mentions that it's a memoir. Mm -hmm. And she was saying that she's never won that battle with all of her books. The publisher has made her put the term memoir on her book. So she said to Carrie, like, how did you make that happen? And she said it was a big argument. Interesting. Yeah, and that actually uh, someone, um, I think that reviewed the book, talked about the fact that it's, the book is really an ethnographic memoir, which was a term I hadn't heard before. I've heard of ethnographies because both of my kids in undergrad were cultural anthropologists and you do ethnographic studies of different cultures. Yeah. But I had never heard of it in ter- in this sort of term. And I thought that was really interesting. So it's, you know, where she's writing a memoir of sorts, but it's really looking at a culture and an area and, and learning more about that, you know? Mm-hmm. So, so it is somewhat of a memoir, but it's not titled a memoir, which I thought was really interesting because I thought it was like straight nonfiction when I heard about it. Yeah. When I had first heard about it way back when like she was still writing it, I thought it was a novel. Mm, that's you know? so funny. Yeah. yeah. Cause yeah. I, I must've caught some snippets on Facebook or something. So, you mm. know, that's really interesting to, to know because so often I'm curious about covers of novels where they'll say, you know, whatever, whatever a novel mm-hmm. by so-and-so. And I always think like, why? Yes. Now, yeah. maybe we know a little bit more that like yeah. publishers like to state what category a book is on the yeah, cover. That's, that's really interesting because sometimes that also messes up your search. Like if you're looking for it in the library, because they actually make that part of the title, which I think is so odd. Mm-hmm. You know, it'll be like semicolon, a novel, you know? Yeah. yeah. Oh, I wonder if that has something to do maybe with the searchability of a book. Mm-hmm. Maybe one of our library and listeners well, let yeah. us know about that. I bet you there's some kind please, of reason. Enlighten us, please. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, the last event I attended, or I should say the second event I attended, it was just last night, uh, the night before we were recording this. Um, it was with Kathleen Rooney. Mm. She was um, at the bookstall, which is a bookstore in Illinois. It's in Winnetka, Illinois, which is north of the city. She was in conversation with Alice Moody, who's a book group leader um, in the area, and they were talking about Rooney's new book, Share a Me and Major Wittesley, which we've talked about and we had Kathleen on. And I'm sorry I didn't look up what episode that was, but we we'll... was one. It was one oh nine. Oh, you know that. Yeah, thank yeah. you, Emily. That's because remember, I just thought <laughs> it's a long story, but I thought that we had forgotten to record an episode one oh nine because I didn't have it in my book. Right. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> it was our author spotlight with Kathleen. Yeah. Um, so it was a really great conversation to, you know, because when we interviewed Kathleen, I was still reading the novel. So I'm glad I was able to catch an event with her having finished the novel. There, It was a good, healthy crowd. I mean, it was, you know, a video event. It was through Crowdcast, hmm, I believe. Yeah. And so, you know, you're able to ask questions and have a little chat on the side. One of the interesting things that came up was that some reviewers have mentioned that, you know, it's a World War I novel about Cherami, who was a carrier pigeon, and Major Wittesley, who was a man. And with Cherami, some of the time is when she's alive as a bird, and then the other time it's when she's this taxidermied bird in the Smithsonian. Right. And so some reviewers have started calling that, a, calling it a ghost story in part. Oh, interesting. And it's just like, that is so cool. And Kathleen said, I would have never thought about that, but yeah. they're right, you know? And I thought that was really cool. And it is. Yeah, that's so interesting. Reviewers are so smart. Aren't they? Yeah. And so that makes me think about the book a little bit more. And I I had read an advanced digital copy. So I I bought a copy of that book from the bookstall and also her first, well, not her first novel, but her previous one, Lillian Boxfish Takes a Walk. 
I love that book. Yeah, so I'm, yeah. I'm looking forward to reading that one very much. And she had on, oh. I should note, Kathleen Rooney had on these kick-ass, big silver earrings that were round mm-hmm. that had pigeons. It was oh. a pigeon in it. It's so cool. <laughs> so, because she is all about the pigeons. I know she said she's become the pigeon lady. Yes. Right? <laughs> <laughs> That's so cute. I love it. Yeah, and this is just a little bit... Uh, interesting for me anyway i don't know how interesting it's for anybody else but the bookstall was the first bookstore where i saw louise penny speak oh interesting and it was way back i looked it up on my blog which is my resource sometimes for what i've read and can't remember but i saw her there september 8th 2011 she Mm. was there to talk about a trick of light was the Mm. book and when she came out and first started talking, and there was like 10 people there. It was a small mm-hmm. event because she was not really well known yet. It, that was the first book that was going, that hit the New York Times bestseller list. Oh. And her publisher had just called her. To like right her before the event. Yeah. Mean. Right. Oh, like, cool. And so she was just, you know, bursting with excitement. It landed number four on the New York Times paper bestseller list. So that was a fun thing to That's to look back memory. on that and to think about the bookstall because it is a really great independent bookstore and it's been around for a long time, like mm-hmm. plus 50 years. Wow. And a cool thing was, and, and now granted I haven't been there since 2011, but there used to be a caribou coffee that was attached. You know, mm-hmm. they were next door to each other and they broke, they broke through so you could go back and forth, nice. which was really great. Oh, I love a bookstore with a cafe. Oh, I know. Like combining my two favorite loves, eating and reading. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny because I think of Louise Penny. You know, I learned of Louise Penny through you. And I think of the event we went to up at Gibson's in New Hampshire. And, you know, it was sold out in this mm-hmm. huge theater. And, you know, everyone walking around with copies of their book. And, you yes. know, all of that. And she pre-signs them because she's so famous. Exactly. <laughs> you know, yeah. So, I know. Yeah. She fills auditoriums now, which is yeah. really amazing. And yeah. uh, it's really wonderful, too, to see an author's evolution like that, especially when it doesn't go to her head. She's still so right. down to earth. Yeah. And, yeah. And she's an author, by the way, you know, we've talked about this in the past, how authors have have newsletters. She's an author that I think would be someone that you might want to subscribe to her newsletter because she does a really awesome newsletter. Yeah. So if you're looking, if you're a fan of Louise Penny and you don't subscribe, I recommend that you do. Right. And it always comes on the first day of the month. So mm-hmm. that's when I, if I'm not paying attention to dates and stuff, I always know, oh, it's a new month. <laughs> Turn the calendar. (laughs) (laughs) So do you have any upcoming jaunts on the calendar? I do. I mentioned before um, the Village Preservation Society. They are going to have an Edith Wharton's Village event. And that will be with Carl Raymond. And that's on September 30th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, I should add. You do have to register for it. It's free. They do, you know, ask for donations because they're a nonprofit and they do great mm-hmm. work. They're trying so much to preserve the history and preserve the architecture of the village and, you know, do so much of this great research. Yeah. Yeah. So cool. I'm looking forward to that because I, I do like Edith uh, Wharton very much. So that's one. And then another event I have coming up. Oh, can okay. I interrupt? Yeah. I just want to say that Edith Wharton holds a special place in my heart because the first adventure we did together before we were even podcasters and we barely knew each other was to go to the Mount. Yep. Remember? Yeah. That's up in Massachusetts, right? Yep. It's, yeah, it? it's in yeah. Massachusetts, Western Massachusetts. And uh, we went to her house. Yeah, the Mount. That was the mansion that she designed. Right. And we went to, didn't, we went to a speak up event with Matthew Dix, which Mm -hmm. was in like the, the, what would have been the horses stalls, I think at the time that they had renovated into this little, you know, performance space. And, um, it was a really special day. I remember we went out to eat and it was like our first Biblio adventure before (laughs) we were Biblio adventuring together 
for a podcast. It was. Yeah, that was so much fun. We hardly knew each other. Gosh. Yeah. yeah. I know. Yeah. And we drove out of state together. Imagine that back when you could still do that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Edith. They're doing events there too. The Mount, they have a nice newsletter that they send out and they're doing virtual events. So that's another great online resource to check out. Yeah. And then the other event uh, we're both looking forward to, the Schomburg Center is having a literary festival. It's their second annual literary festival. And of course, the first that's going to be virtual. It's September 21st to the 26th. And one event in particular I want to shout out is one focused on Audre Lorde. And that one is September 22nd, 8 to 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time. And this is going to be with Roxanne Gay, Mahogany L. Brown, and Tracy K. Smith. They're going to be discussing uh, Lord's work in the context of today's political warfare. I'm really looking forward to that. And these, you know, the the schedule is amazing. We'll put put a link to it in the show notes. And you do need to register for the events individually. They have a really great website set up. It's super easy to navigate. Um, And we'll put a link in the show notes, like I said, for that. Yeah. How about you? I registered for an event with Powell's Books in Portland, which I'm really excited about. It's Alice Hoffman in conversation with Anne Leary, who's an author whose books I've wanted to read. So I'm interested to to listen to the two of them together. And this is on October 20th. It is Pacific time, so it's 9 p.m. Eastern time. Oh. So I'm going to have to... <laughs> Have a late cup of coffee and, you know, maybe I'll treat myself and watch it in bed or something (laughs) because that is typically uh, when my brain is not functioning anymore. But I'm really looking forward to it. You know, for Alice Hoffman fans, she has actually a lot of events scheduled because this new book comes out in the beginning of October. But this was just an event that particularly appealed to me. The other author that I rediscovered is Adriana Trigiani. Yeah. Who I love and I loved her Big Stone Gap series and I came across her on Facebook. She does Facebook live events. She is a hoot. <laughs> so I just am putting it out there like I didn't finish one. So that's why I didn't talk about it in my Biblio Adventures. I probably will next week. I highly recommend you tune into her because she's a does a great interview. She's funny She's just very gregarious. She holds the books like by her head the entire time she's talking <laughs> to the authors. It's hilarious. And um, and it made me realize like, oh, I'm behind in reading her. She's pretty pro- prolific and she's had many books and I haven't gotten to them. So I'm going to try to pick up one of her books um, again soon. So th- again, that's Adriana Trigiani Facebook Live. So I'm just going to check them out because they're recorded, you know, so you don't have to be watching them when they're actually live. That's great. Gosh, there's so many great events out there in the Yes. It's true. So what about upcoming reads? I have two and they were both books that were recommended at the different event Biblio Adventure events I attended. And I don't know much about them. One of them is called Beneficence by Meredith Hall. It's not out until October 6th, but I am going to get a copy. Um, The author's waxed poetic about the book. I don't know anything about it. And then the other is called All My Puny Sorrows by Miriam Tobes, I believe is how you pronounce the author's name. Another one, I don't know anything about it, but it's just like when you have authors who rave about books that they've recently read, these were both events where they said, what did you read recently that you just loved? And these were two that were mentioned. So I'm going to check them out. What about you? Well, well, I'm going to be reading James Ben's new release, The Red Horse. This is a new entry in his Billy Boyle World War II mystery series. It's the 15th. Ooh, wow. So he's only yeah. one book behind Louise Fenny. <laughs> <laughs> And then the other book, it's one that I saw happen to catch uh, Kathleen Rooney tweeted about last month, and she said it's the best novel about Chicago that she's ever read. Ooh. It's called Trumbull Park 
by Frank London Brown. The blurb on the back says, Frank London Brown's powerful debut novel, originally published in 1959, fictionalizes the real-life ordeals of the first black families to integrate Chicago's Trumbull Park public housing project in the 1950s. Protagonist Buggy Martin tells the first-person story of moving with his wife and two children from a rotting tenement on the south side to the new development, where the family is besieged by angry whites. They endure the strain of living with racial violence until the day Buggy and a friend refuse police protection and walk home together through the white mob. Oh, my. So it sounds very, very charged and intense, but when a writer like Kathleen Rooney, who knows Chicago so well, says this is the best novel about Chicago she's ever read, like, I, I ordered it immediately. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that sounds cool. Yeah. All right. Well, that's coming to an end of another episode. Before we take off, we just wanted to give a shout out and let you all know about a writing workshop that's coming up with Shuli Kaywood, who we've talked about before, a mutual friend, Emily's childhood friend. Yes. And uh, Shuli's a great writer and such a supportive writing instructor i was on a an hour-long writing session with her through another organization where she led the writing session and she just had such great writing prompts and she was so encouraging about everyone who shared it was really a fun experience so i'm really happy to see that she's doing her own workshops now yeah she has a four-day online workshop coming up let's let shuli say a few words about it herself Hi, I'm Shuli Kaywood, and I'm offering a four-day online memoir and personal essay writing workshop. If you want to write stories from your life but don't know where to start and need some direction and motivation, please join me from September 28th through October 1st. We will generate new writing, read essays that inspire, and learn some tools and techniques on the craft of memoir writing. Beginners are welcome. No memoir experience is necessary. Find out more at www.shulikawood.com. That's S-H-U-L-Y-C-A-W-O-O-D.com. Excellent. Very good. Well, everybody, here we are saying goodbye once again. Yes. <laughs> we'll see you in, well, I guess we won't see, we'll see each other through yeah. the wonders of the computer, but we will be back in your earbuds again in two weeks. But for now, we wish you all a lot of happy reading. Happy reading. Thanks for listening to The Book Cougars with Chris Wallach and Emily Fine. We'll be back with another episode in two weeks. Until then, come chat with us on social media or on our Goodreads group. And if you'd like to contact us directly, email us at bookcougars at gmail.com. Thanks, everyone. Whee!